I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 28. I'm going to also ask you, once you have found Acts 28, which is the last chapter of the book of Acts, to then turn your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 5. Jeremiah, chapter 5. So we're going to begin in Acts, and then we're going to jump over to Jeremiah chapter 25. Five. Did I say 25? I'm sorry. Verse 20 and following is what we're going to be reading. So begin in Acts chapter 28. Then we'll move over to Jeremiah chapter 5. Beginning in verse 17, it says, It came to pass after three days that Paul called the elders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who when they had examined me wanted to let me go, because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. Then they said to him, We neither receive letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. But we desire to hear from you what you think, for concerning the sect we know that it is spoken against everywhere. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. And when some, when, and some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. So when they had not agreed among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through, our, through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. And now we go over to Jeremiah chapter 5, and I will begin really in verse 18. It says, Nevertheless, in those days, says the Lord, I will not make a complete end of you, and it will be... When you say, why does the Lord our God do all these things to us, then you shall answer them. Just as you have forsaken me and served foreign gods in your land, so you shall serve aliens in a land that is not yours. Declare this in the house of Jacob and proclaim it in Judah, saying, Hear this now, O foolish people, without understanding, who have eyes and see not, and who have ears and hear not. Do you not fear me, says the Lord? Will you not tremble at my presence, who have 
place the sand as the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree that it cannot pass beyond it. And though its waves toss to and fro, yet they cannot prevail. Though they roar, yet they cannot pass over it. But this people has a defiant and rebellious heart. They have revolted and departed. They do not say in their heart, let us fear the Lord our God who gives rain, both the former and the latter in its season. He reserves for us the appointed weeks of the harvest. Your iniquities have turned these things away, and your sins have withheld good from you. This morning we have uh, a unique situation in that uh, I don't know that I've had this happen to me before in all my years of preaching, and that is I'm going to end one study and start the other the same week. Um, Because the text before us at the end of Acts is a wonderful introduction into our next study as we finish up Acts and move into a study that's going to be a very difficult one. And it's difficult not because it's hard to understand. It's difficult because it's hard to listen to. And that's a study in Jeremiah. And we call him the weeping prophet for a reason. And he is also the one that wrote the book in response to Jeremiah of Lamentations, the weepings. He might say, well, that's um, okay for a week or two, but you're going to be stuck in Jeremiah for about 18 months if the Lord doesn't come back or something happen between now and that time. And if you think that's bad, I want to remind you how long Jeremiah ministered. And that was for 50 years plus that message that we're going to be studying. But we have a wonderful introduction to it, and it's one of its applications for us in this church age, as Paul quotes from one of the fellow prophets of Jeremiah. His name is Isaiah. And we want to look again at Paul throwing this passage out there uh, to confront his people, the Jews of Rome, with And really what he has done is confronted the Jews throughout his ministry with the consequences of rejecting their Messiah. The consequences of not being responsive to the revelation of God to them. And this the prophets of old address regularly uh, and keep coming back to it and back to it with not just one generation, but many generations, as king after king after king is confronted with, why aren't you listening to God's word being declared? Why won't these people be led by their spiritual and political leadership away from the idolatrous practices that they're engaged in? And why are the priests not joining the prophets in all of this? And so we are going to see how Paul engaged the people there in Rome that he had audience with. Uh, We're going to then jump into an introductory portion of Jeremiah uh, and see the need for us to really reconsider this, not 
Um, uh, we know that it's the original audience, both for Isaiah and Jeremiah, and the audience of Paul's words here are the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, as they reject Jesus Christ as their Messiah. Uh, but we find it very relevant in our day and age when we find many who are calling themselves by the name of Christ, essentially rejecting the demands of Christ. And so it becomes a very relevant message for us, even though it is not a very sought-after one. (laughs) Even though we don't want to hear it, it becomes very necessary and applicable because of our day and age, where congregation after congregation, denomination after denomination, choose to go the way of their own wicked hearts rather than those revealed by God in his word and through his son, Jesus Christ. And so we'll embark on that study this morning as we conclude our study in Acts. Let's go, Lord, in prayer before we get into it too much farther. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. We thank you again for the opportunity to look into your word and the privilege that we have to have it here readily available to us in our own language. And we thank you for preserving your word by your Spirit's work uh, over these centuries. That we have confidence, that we have it before us, and we recognize that because this is your word, given to holy men of God who are carried along by your Holy Spirit, preserved for us by his work, that therefore it has authority. Not that we lend it authority, but that we recognize its authority that it does have. The authority that all men, whether they accept or reject it, will be measured by. So Lord, we come to it with with caution, with humility. We recognize that this is your word, and we need your help in the study of it. Your spirit might work as he has worked to give us these scriptures, that he would work to open them up to our minds and our hearts. That we might be responsive to that work by faith believing and the evidence there of repentance and of righteousness. Lord, we pray that you might have liberty to work. And Lord, we do pray you might guard us from distractions within our own minds and within our environment here Guard us from error and from our own opinions that do not align with your word. From the philosophies of this world that we are inundated for the last six and a half days since last we met. Lord, our prayer is that uh, you might purge us of that, that we might come to your word and seek its purity. Whether we require milk today or meat, that we might receive it to your honor, praise, and glory, and to the benefit of your people. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have seen repeatedly Paul addressing first the synagogue, first the Jewish people, and sometimes he had to go out by a river to find them because there weren't enough men to form a synagogue. And he always made it his pattern to go to the Jewish people first, to the people of Israel, and to share with them the gospel to give them their Messiah, where he had a foundation of the law of Moses, of the prophets, that he could communicate with them. 
that they accepted that portion of God's word, that they received it, that they were familiar with it, they acknowledged it, because they were worshiping the God of Israel, uh, the Lord of all creation. They had that in common, and so they went to them on the foundation of their scriptures, on the foundation of, of the one true and living God that they served and claimed, um, that they gave lip service to and, and honored uh, he came to them with a message of Jesus Christ of Nazareth as the fulfillment of the law, as the fulfillment of the prophets, as the one to whom and for whom they have been waiting and looking. Uh, that he's the one. He is the one that will deliver us from our sins. It is certainly not the sacrifices that we have offered. It is certainly uh, not the religious activities that we have engaged in. It is this one that Isaiah spoke of, the suffering servant, who would become our sin for us. And so he preached that message to them with that foundation, that that common uh, authority of the Moses and the prophets. And, of course, we find some being persuaded that, that... Within the synagogues, sometimes even uh, the chief rabbis of the synagogues, the, the leadership would receive it. Uh, at other times, they rejected almost wholeheartedly. But he always went there first with that message. It was necessary they hear it. It was necessary, uh, even though we saw last week that uh, there was an understanding very early on in Paul's ministry that, that the other apostles would go to the Jews and he would go to the Gentiles. That did not excused him from preaching the gospel to all men. And so he went first to the Jews. And when they rejected that message, when they spoke against it, when they argued over it, it became a point of theological discussion. Instead of a matter of obedience and belief, he took it elsewhere. Sometimes that only was one meeting. Sometimes that was three or four Sabbaths of in the synagogue. But Eventually, in every city, he has taken it to the Gentiles. And here in Rome is no different. We find, while he is not going to the synagogue, because he can't, he's under arrest, uh, he brings the synagogue to him. And he invites them into the jailer's house, and he shares this message with them. Uh, at the conclusion of this arranged meeting, and, the, and seeing the division and the discussion being had, um, he makes this declaration. The declaration is to quote an Old Testament prophet, Isaiah. We find um, that in Isaiah chapter 6, these verses given there, uh, spoken here, uh, that this is uh, the instruction that God gave to Isaiah. Here's your expectation in ministry. I want you to, to go and speak to your people. I want you to go speak to your fathers. I want you to go speak to them. I'm going to tell you what to say. I'm going to give you direct divine revelation. Um, But I want you to understand that while you're going to speak to them and to share with them what they need to do, I want you to understand what the measure of success is. The measure of success is not that they all listen. Because, in fact, they are going to hear you with your ears, but their brain, their mind, their heart are going to rebel against it. They are not going to let that message in. They are going to reject it. But the measure of your success is not whether they listen to you. In fact, maybe the measure is they don't want to hear it and they hate you. Um, But the measure is whether you will communicate precisely what I tell you or whether you will go the way of the other false prophets who make up things that people want to hear. That doesn't happen anymore at all, of course, right? 
that people get into pulpits and tell people what they want to hear instead of what God has communicated for us to know. And so this was Isaiah's commissioning, if you will, within the context. If you look at the earlier verses, this is a statement being made to Isaiah when he is having his heavenly vision. He has just been confronted with the Holy One of Israel. He has just been confronted with uh, the fact that he is a man of unclean lips and he thinks he should die because he is there and he has seen the Lord high and lifted up. And he says, oh, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among people of unclean lips. And having been purified in that place, he is then given this commissioning. Go to this people and say, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. And then God explains why. Though God himself is sending a man with God's very own words, why won't they understand it? Why won't they perceive it, though they hear it and see it? And by the way, the prophets weren't just preachers. They were, um, they did some drama, too. They, they acted out their messages um, by digging holes in walls, by marrying strange people, um, by walking and preaching in whatever clothing or lack thereof that God required of them. Uh, Their life was a message, not just their declarations from their mouths, but they showed it to the people as well as made sure that they spoke it to the people. So why is it that they weren't responsive? Verse 27 tells us the hearts of this people have grown dull. They have chosen to become hard of hearing. They have chosen to close their eyes because they do not want to understand. They, the, the indication here is that the heart is, is a set in stone. It doesn't want to acknowledge, first of all, the authority. It doesn't like the message. It doesn't want to be responsive. And so they are shutting their eyes. They are, they are closing off their ears. They, they will listen and watch you, but their hearts inside are closed. And if the condition were different, if they were just neutral, if you had a neutral audience, an eyes that just didn't care one way or the other, um, here's what would happen. They would hear, they would see, and they would repent. Really? Yeah. They would see. But the fact is, these people weren't just neutral or somewhat uh disconnected and just they, they meant well but but got misled or confused that wasn't the situation god says here's the situation they don't want to know the truth they want to live their lives the way they live their lives and they don't want me to interfere in their lives even though they call themselves by my name israel the el there is god you see that el daniel that E-L at the end is reference God. So they're using my name, Elohim. They're using and calling themselves by my name, but they are, don't care what I desire of them. And this is the audience you're going to, Isaiah, and also, by the way, Jeremiah and Ezekiel and right down the line. 
Uh, this is the audience that you have before you are a people that if they just considered their ways, if they just accepted what you had to say as face value, this is a message from God, and I need to think about and consider uh, that it has authority and ramifications for me, then if that were the case, verse 27, they should understand, they should see, they should hear, and then their hearts would turn. That word turn is the word repent. So that I should heal them. The fact is, if they would just give it consideration, then there's hope. This is the hope of Israel that Paul spoke of earlier in the text. Is that there is healing, healing from sin and all of its manifestations and the misery that it creates in our life and ultimately even death itself, that we have this completeness that is dependent upon something. It's dependent upon us being responsive, to be willing to hear, willing to see, willing to understand, and the response of a willing recipient is to turn from the direction they are going to the direction that God wants for them. But the circumstance was that they were grown dull. Now I want to remind you of who Paul is referencing in this passage with this portion of Isaiah. We're not talking about wayward Jews who weren't practicing their faith. These were the leaders of the Jewish community in Rome. These were the chief Rabbi. These were the men who were in charge of the synagogues. He calls them there. And so uh, if you look um, in verse 17 here in Acts 28, it says, It came to us after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. It was the leaders that he called. These were the men who, whose job, who, who's, who's, if not occupation whose avocation was to to be students of God's word to be able to communicate it to their people and to lead Israel the people of Israel that are reside in Rome in worship of the Jehovah and he spoke speaks to them and says if this just becomes a point of theological debate with you then you are dull of hearing the, the message of the gospel is not something to just something to discuss because you don't think of anything else to talk about. It's not something to just quarrel over. It is, it is the fact. It is authoritative. You either receive it or reject it. And by discussing it and acting as if it is something of man's opinion that can be uh, bantered over, Um, you are essentially becoming dull in your heart to the need to respond by faith, believing to repent. This is its call. Turn. Turn away from the direction you're going to this direction that God has called you to. And this is what is referred to here as dull of heart. That we have desensitized ourselves to the demand. 
There's lots of ways to do that. I've referenced one that, that is evident in our text here of making it a, a philosophical discussion instead of a point of decision. And I've encountered people like that. Um, they want to make a philosophical discussion over it, a theological discussion over it, um, instead of approaching it as a place of decision. But there are other ways to be dull-hearted towards it, to consider it just something that will always be there and someday I'll get around to it. Someday I'll get around to worrying about that kind of stuff. Right now, I've got my life to live. Maybe when I'm old and can't hardly sin anymore um, and I know I'm not going to belong for this earth, then I'll address those things. But right now, I want to live my life and those people are dull of heart. They don't understand that the life you intend to live your way is one of misery and strife, heartache, pain, that God really wants you to avoid. It's calling you to decision. And there are as many people as there are, or as many excuses of how to put that off and to close ourselves off to not wanting to hear it. I just don't want to hear it. It's It's depressing because you keep telling us how bad we are and the prophets were doing that and they were, and we are going to go through Jeremiah and find out what was Israel doing that was so hideous that God said, I want to spew you out. I'm going to send you out among the nations. I'm going to reject you. And in fact, at one point he's going to tell Jeremiah, stop praying for them. They've gotten that bad. Don't even pray for them. Wow. That's pretty far down the road of rejection by God if you are so dull in your heart that God commands his prophets to stop praying for you. But that's what Jeremiah is going to be confronted with. And so we find Paul here recognizing that here it has become a matter of discussion and this isn't a matter of discussion. This is the truth. Either you accept it or reject it and by discussing it instead of, of, of responding to it by faith believing, um, you, are rec- you are showing yourself dull of heart and therefore the gospel needs to go to someone else. It's been sent to others. They'll hear it. And this epitomizes Paul's ministry and really what Luke wants to communicate all through the book of Acts is this progression of the gospel. How it started out with just this handful of people watching our Lord ascend into heaven, being chastised by a couple of angels. Why are you just standing here looking up? Um, he'll come back his own time. You've got work to do. Well, the book of Acts is the work that needed to be done. And the book of Acts is still the work that needs to be done. We are still in the church age. We have seen some great testimonies and some powerful examples that we can learn from and and emulate in our witness, in in our work as a church, in our individual lives, and in our presentation of the gospel, that men in their sin have crucified their Savior, but God raised him from the dead.
And this is the message we have, is the power of God over sin and death. But it can't be man's way. We have been visited some men who tried to make it their way, who tried to cling to the old while adhering to the new. A magician that wanted to do the things the way he's always known to do it, just do it now for God, and (laughs) given a very stern warning by Peter. A frightening statement. May you perish with your money. We have visited with people who wanted to accept Christ but hang on to the law. And we find that that was not Christ's message. It is not the law plus Jesus. It is Jesus the fulfillment of the law. He has completed it so that now we have liberty in Christ. And so we have seen throughout the book of Acts places where we have seen Enormous numbers respond. Boom. And then we have seen others, um, and, and not just the religious, but also the Athenians who just wanted to discuss it a little bit more. And a handful believed. That there's always those that will respond by faith believing. They understand that this is a call to decision. This is not just a philosophical or, or opinion survey. This is a call to action. What are you going to do with Jesus? And that's what we've been confronted with all through the book of Acts. And yes, we even have kings saying, boy, I'm kind of, I'm almost convinced. That wasn't good enough. To be almost convinced isn't good enough. You must repent. You must act. You must decide. And to not decide is a decision to reject him. It is being dull-hearted that Isaiah points to, that God declares that's the kind of people who are closed off to the mess. They don't want to hear it because they don't want it to transform their lives. They don't want what's required of them once they accept that message because as soon as I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, Lord means I have to obey Him. I'm the servant. He's the master. And and He's going to direct my path. Um, Now I have to surrender my will to Him. I don't even like surrendering my will to... My husband, or my dad, or mom, um, or my boss, or to my—we don't even surrender our wills to the police officers and and laws. Now I have to surrender my entire will to the Lord. We don't want that, so we harden our heart against it, and we are going to confront that in Jeremiah. I invite you to turn to Jeremiah. And of course, we're going to look at a little more at Jeremiah 1, 1, but I want to jump to chapter 5 because it is a companion passage. It is Jeremiah's version of what God told Isaiah in Isaiah 6 here in Jeremiah 5. Notice that in both books, uh, this statement is very early on in these men's ministries. Um, and they are a summary of what God requires or what's gonna, what their job is going to be. That their job is going to be trying to convince people who don't want to hear that they are sinners, religious people. Uh, he's going to try to convince them that God isn't pleased with them. And all these people have choices. 
We're Americans and we love choices, don't we? We love choices. One of the things I notice when I go to other countries is uh, you go into the store and you don't have a lot of choices. Um, If they have peanut butter, they only have one brand of peanut butter, if they have it. Um, If they have what you're looking for, they're not going to have an entire aisle dedicated. Isn't it amazing we have an entire aisle dedicated to soda? How many different sodas do you really need? Well, you don't need any of them, but we really need our life. But we love choices. And we, most of us, live by the rule of variety is the spice of life. Well, Israel had choices. And we think that if we have all these choices, that that is fullness and meaning. That now I can kind of go shopping and uh, just pick what I like and, and put it in my basket of beliefs and go merrily along my way. And that's pretty much how most everyone in Israel was living and in Judah. They just kind of took their shopping carts through the, the Walmarts of beliefs and grabbed some from here and some from there. And, of course, because they were Israelites, they did have, you know, the staple. And that staple changes. Your staple might be potatoes or rice or tortillas. I don't know. Um, Whatever your staple is in your home, uh, mine is just beef. No. (laughs) Um, You have your staple. Yeah, we believe in the God of Israel, you know, Jehovah. Got that. Got that in my shopping basket. So I got that base covered. But, boy, I kind of like this over here. And and these people over here with their asterisk poles, those are kind of cool. And they're up in the mountains and they're in the groves. How neat is that? I love getting up in the groves of the mountaintops and... and, uh, they have some cool stuff there. And, and, and then we, we had, you know, so they were shopping and they, they just selected from among the nations around them the belief systems that were there. And in that regard, I think <laughs> we're mostly like that. Boy, do we have choices. If you don't like what you hear here, boy, just go down the street, around the block, or you don't have to do that. Just take out your little eye god and, and find something that says what you want to believe. And that's what was confronting Israel in the days of Jeremiah. You see, there were plenty of people walking around claiming to be declaring the message of the Lord. There were the priests There were the false prophets. There were even the kings. There were the judges and the Levites. All of them speaking words that Israel wanted to hear. And you think that at some point that as Isaiah and Jeremiah's prophecies came true and theirs didn't, that the people would start realizing this is just junk food. It's not helping me at all. It's not benefiting me. Um, these guys are liars. And none of what they say ever comes true and it doesn't ever accomplish anything. Uh, but this Isaiah and Jeremiah, these guys, I mean, they're making these prophetic utterances that are happening. But you, So you'd think that by the time they're in captivity, off in Babylon, that then 
they'll start saying, oh, we should have listened to Jeremiah and Isaiah. What were we thinking? But no, even in Babylon, after being taken captive, after watching Jerusalem be, be made into rubble by not one visit, but by three visits of the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, that they would respond. But even then, here's what they listened to. They listened to false prophets that says, don't worry, don't even unpack. You'll be right back in Jerusalem. It won't take long. God's prophet says you're going to be there 70 years. So Jeremiah has to write a letter to Judah in captivity saying, don't just unpack, build a house, plant a garden, marry your kids off. You're going to be there for a generation or more. By the way, this is my wedding suit, so last time I wore this, Brenda got married. I think the time before that was Julie got married, so Valerie got I got my suit on. Marry those kids off. Have grandkids. You're going to be there. We're going to come to that letter in Jeremiah 29. And so people want to hear what they want to hear, even in the worst circumstances. Their sin had done so bad that they were already in captivity. They had lost everything, being made slaves in Babylon, and they're still listening to the false prophets say, don't even unpack, you're going home soon. You know, this is just God slapping you on the hand, and now you'll go back. That's how dull-hearted we are. That's how stubborn they were in their own evil hearts, is that they, even when disaster strikes their life, instead of then listening to the truth, they just get on their little mobile app and they try to find, uh, there's got to be some little quote with a pretty picture that will help me through this. Come on, you all know that that's what you live by. If it doesn't have a pretty picture with a sunset or a mountaintop or a pretty animal, and then you have a quote by somebody, you don't know the context of the quote at all, but that's what we live by. Oh, there I can live on that now. Even if it's a lie. Because we don't want to hear the truth. Look at Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1. It says, run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. See now and know, and seek in her open places. If you can find a man... If there's anyone who executes judgment, who seeks the truth, and I will pardon her. Though they say, as the Lord lives, surely they swear falsely. This was the condition of Jerusalem. He says, you go ahead. You go from one end of Jerusalem to the other end of Jerusalem. You find anyone who is seeking out the truth. You find anyone who, who, who wants to serve me. And I will pardon the entire city. Does this sound familiar? Yeah, I think God said something to Abram, and Abram said, Well, what if there's 70 people? Will you spare? Yeah, I'll spare it for 70. What if there? And he gets all the way down to, what, 10? What if there's 10 righteous people there? Yeah, I won't destroy Sodom or Gomorrah if there's 10 righteous. Just 10. Just ten people. And they couldn't find ten people in that city that wanted to know the truth. The indication is it was one. And that was Lot. 
His family followed him out there. His wife obviously had her heart still set. His children demonstrated their evil um, in the days to follow. Um, they went out because they were with Dad on his coattails. Um, there was one, and he was vexed in his heart every day. And so Jeremiah is told, go, go through the whole city of Jerusalem. If you find one person who really wants to know the truth, I'll save the whole city. And so Jeremiah's searching. Just one person. Just one person wants to hear the truth and not want to do whatever his evil heart wants to do. Oh, you're going to find a lot of hypocrites. They're going to say, as the Lord lives, but they're false. And I'll show you how false they are. Oh, they're in the synagogues. They're at the temple. They're they're calling upon the name of the Lord. They swear by my name all the time. And that's not swearing like curse words. That's, that's giving oaths. Oh, yes, as the Lord lives, I'll do this. As the Lord lives. And then they don't. They live the way they want. So this is the condition of the people that Jeremiah is sent to. Then we jump over to the passage we read earlier that correlates with Paul's words and acts. In verse 20, it says, Declare this in the house of Judah. Proclaim it in Judah, saying, Hear this now, foolish people, without understanding. And that word is without a heart that seeks after God. You don't have the heart to seek after him, literally is what it says. You who don't want to know the truth, hear. You've seen it, you've heard it, but you don't want to listen and you don't want to understand. And God has a question, and of course we're going to get to this when we get to Isaiah or Jeremiah 5, but a powerful question that is going to be my theme question throughout the study of Jeremiah is do you not fear the Lord? That's the question. Has it not occurred to you that the one you're dealing with is God Almighty who has made the earth and everything in it who will one day destroy it to whom everyone's knee will bow? Do you not Fear the Lord. And to not fear the Lord and to recognize that you will answer to him and he will be a righteous judge. And by a righteous judge, we are not talking about merciful. We are talking about someone who will give you what you deserve based upon your heart and your actions. And you will condemn yourselves because the books will be open and their records will be declared. And the judgment will come, and it will be righteous. And the question for Israel that is going to be asked over and over again by God, um, and that is confronting Jeremiah at the very beginning of his ministry, is you're going to have to go out there and talk to them. They are dull-hearted. They don't want to hear it. They will listen. They will watch you. They'll, They'll do all that, but... Their heart doesn't want to understand. They don't want to consider it. They don't want to move to action. They don't want to decide upon it. 
the underlying reason that they think that they can ignore God at, or come to God at their leisure and on their terms is because they don't fear Him. And fundamentally, this is what characterizes the church today. As we come to a book like Jeremiah or any book of the Bible, and we're going to make it say what we want it to say, and we're going to pick and choose verses. I mean, I can't even imagine coming to the, the book of the Bible and, 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 and pulling out of it that the one thing we ought to be getting out of the Bible is the prayer of Jabez. Really? That's the most you could get out of the Old Testament was the prayer of Jabez? But yet, that's what we want to hear. Increase my everything. We take our shopping carts through the malls of belief that are so readily accessible to us today. We read the little blurbs that have to be only a few characters long and derive our philosophies of life from them and they are meager at best and they are inconsistent and yet we are prop ourselves up with them and fancy that we have thought our way through it when we are afraid to pick up a book and read chapters of God's revealed will. And then at the end, things don't quite go the way we want them to. We point our little pathetic bony fingers up at the one who made us and say, why didn't it go the way I wanted it? And certainly, God has a right to come down and say something like this. You have forsaken me and served foreign gods in your land, so you shall serve aliens in a land that's not yours. You forsook me. I didn't forsake you. And now, you're going to pay the price. You're going to get what you deserve. You see, for generations, Israel has been living in God's mercy of not getting what they deserve. And right now, there are many, in many churches today, maybe some of you who are just hanging on um, because you're in a period of God's mercy, but do not think that that is going to go on forever. There is a time when there will be a, a conclusion where mercy will be finished and judgment awaits. Today is an opportunity to receive mercy and grace. But it will demand of you a decision. Not to just say, I'll think about it, but to decide. Not to just say, I'm not sure that pastor's right on this one. But to see and respond to God's word. To listen, not just with your ears, but with your heart and with your mind. To see that the way of the Lord is righteousness. This Israel refused to do. And because of it, they paid dearly. 
as we are going to see throughout this study in Jeremiah. But the underlying force I truly believe is summarized by this one question. Do you not fear the Lord? And why? Why don't you, why aren't you afraid? Why if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ uh, that is substantiated by the evidence, the fruits of repentance in your life, then you should be quaking in consideration that for God there is no no empty place where you just exist. There is either in his favor or under his judgment. That is the reality. And it should make you tremble. Isaiah, in the presence of God, just trembled and said, Woe is me. And this is a man who had already initiated his ministry and for five chapters had already started preaching. He was doing his job and God says, uh, Let's just, just to make sure, as you've started, I love the fact that both in Isaiah and Jeremiah, um, it's, Jeremiah is a really young guy, by the way. Jeremiah starts when he is really young. Okay, you guys would not accept him as your pastor at the age that he starts his ministry. Um, and that's not unprecedented. And remember how young Samuel was when God started with him. A child. Eight, nine years old. Um, Jeremiah is pretty young and he admits it in chapter one. We're going to see that next week. Um, but here he comes um, and there's every reason to ignore him But ultimately, it's about not the messenger, but the message and who the message came from. Its origin should move us to fear him and to recognize, I need to make a decision here. Um, I'm not sure how much God's going to tolerate. It's a gamble that you're living. How much sin, how much rebellion, how much hard-heartedness will God tolerate from me? Before he says, that's enough. Many, many, many of Israel perished in Jerusalem. Hideously. Many in Israel, in the northern part, had already been drug off into captivity and slaughtered. It was described as being all you saw were naked bottoms running away from you. That's all they had. They were naked and alive, and that was it, and drug off to Assyria. And even then, Judah wouldn't listen because they didn't fear the Lord. They didn't tremble in his presence. They didn't recognize that this is our creator. This is the one who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the one who must be obeyed or we will pay the consequences. So when Paul calls his people to appoint a decision and they balk at it, they balk at making a decision, whether it's the king, whether it's the ruler of the synagogue, or whether it's it's a, a... someone out there in the streets, or whether it's a philosopher in Athens, if they balk at making a decision, you find him 
almost immediately shifting himself and saying, listen, that's on your shoulders, but I need to find some people who want to hear this and will respond. When the end comes, when the falling away occurs, the Bible describes as a time when men will not want to hear the truth. They will hear what they want to hear, what they, their itching ears, it says, they want to fill with their own ideas. And there will be lots of people lined up to fill that role of scratching your itches. You, itch your, no, you scratch your itches. There will be lots of people lined up to do that. There were in Jeremiah's day. There was in Isaiah's day. There was even in Paul's day. But not like there is today. Fifty years from destruction, Israel has a chance. For fifty years they will hear the word of the Lord from men like Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel. They will hear and they will ignore it. They will put it off. They will disregard it. They will shrug their shoulders at it. They will spit at it. They will try to silence it. They will do everything except heed it because they do not fear their God. And that rebellion is going to be evident in all the different sins, societal sins that we're going to see in Jeremiah. And we are seeing it evidenced in our age of rebellion upon rebellion upon rebellion that at this point, I'm not sure that many of you even recognize some of those things as rebellion. We start to think of rebellion as normative, even cool. Why? Because we don't fear the Lord. Why don't you fear him? And this will be our study in Jeremiah. It's going to be a rough one. It's going to go sometimes very quickly through several chapters at a time uh, because as we get later on in the book because we will have already measured out the message from previous times as it repeats and repeats. But we are going to go through it verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And it probably won't be three months before you're saying, I'm tired of hearing this every Sunday. Um, and when that's the case, uh, check your heart. If you think you're tired of hearing it, the guy up here might be tired of preaching it. But I'm not doing it for 50 years. I'm just doing it for a few months. These men were faithful to God. And I don't expect much God expects everything from you. But from what I can tell how God talked to Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, my expectations should be pretty minimal. No one looking for the truth. And so if we end up with ten people at the end of Jeremiah still sitting in this room for Sunday morning worship services, because Sunday nights are much more interesting in Galatians and other passages, I'll be thrilled. Not an easy message. Not an easy book. 
And that's probably why I would venture to guess that you've never heard a pastor preach through the book of Jeremiah from start to finish. But you're about to. So I encourage you to be faithful, but that you not have a dull heart. And to guard yourself from that requires that you fear the Lord. These things matter to him. This is how he measures a society. This is how he measures his people. This is the evidence of whether you are walking in his ways or your ways. Great challenges before us. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us, and we thank you for the testimony that we see here in Paul and in Jeremiah and Isaiah and many others. But Lord, we also recognize the danger, the danger that's here, uh, that we be dull of hearing and tired of hearing it and not wanting to respond, thinking that we can take it or leave it, and knowing that we can go elsewhere to hear something different, something that we enjoy and like and pleases our sensibilities. Lord, guard our hearts from such dullness, from such rebellion. And Lord, fill us with a fear of your name. That we might seek your truth. That this city might be delivered for the sake of one. Lord, we want to be that one that can bring deliverance to a community. We know that requires us to be faithful, and we pray you might help us to stand fast in your message, though the world hate it, and though even we grow weary of it. Lord, help us to stand fast in your truth. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.